This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. No such thing as the dog days of summer on the Scoop Podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Scoop Podcast episode number 86. I may not have my normal energy level. I'll get into that in a second, but the show must go on. First, the sponsor, then Thad Levine, Twins General Manager. His schedule is somewhat limited, so we have to get to him. Then I can go on and on about my personal life. The sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, Vine Park Brewery. A good portion of Scoop Podcast episode 85 was taped at Vine Park Brewery right off of West 7th Street in St. Paul, not too far from downtown St. Paul, right in between 35E and downtown. You think about exiting 35E, you head down West 7th toward downtown. It is right there on Twitter at Vine underscore park underscore brew online, vinepark.com. Vine Park is the only brewery in the Midwest where you can brew your own beer and make your own wine on their equipment with their help. Vine Park has been the fun place to brew your own beer and make your own wines since 1995. Got some Twins tidbits. I can get into those after Thad Levine, but let's welcome now into the conversation the general manager of the Twins. The non-waiver trade deadline comes up Monday afternoon. The Twins already making one deal, moving a pitching prospect for Jaime Garcia, plus a catching prospect. They now have five catchers on the 40-man roster which is interesting. So lots to get to with Thad Levine. Thad, always appreciate your time. Before we dive into your current team, how about your former team? I was I was selfishly hoping that Adrian Beltre might go into a little bit of a slump. They are here, is it August 3rd? I think that series begins August 3rd that they're here. I was sort of hoping. I didn't think it would happen, but, you know, I was sort of hoping, as much a long shot as it was, that Adrian Beltre might get his 3,000th hit at target field. But after four hits on Monday night... It looks like that milestone will happen sooner rather than later. Pretty cool. I say one of the best players I've ever been blessed to work with. Um, what he does on the field is absolutely spectacular. One of the most talented guys you're going to find in the game in the last uh, 15 years. Uh, but he plays with an energy and an exuberance and, and really just joy that I have never seen out of any other player. And his, his work in the clubhouse is equally as impactful as what he does on the field. He's, a, in my opinion, a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubter, a guy who deserves to be in that place. And uh, he, however old he is right now, I think he still thinks he's 19 years old. So <laughs> the career is probably, at the very least, just towards the tail end, not not winding down for, for a guy like Adrian Beltre. But I do think there's something you said for if he can do that in front of the home fans, I think it would be spectacular for him. They're going to celebrate him either way, but. They probably have deserved and earned to, to, to see that milestone take place in, in Arlington, Texas. If it doesn't, I sure hope it happens here. Yeah, I mean, I think they're home the rest of the week. So after the four hits Monday, I imagine that has to be his goal, to do it in front of the home fans. And I'm with you. I mean, he is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, but for the longest time, until he started getting closer and closer to 3,000, there were some pundits who said, no, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. But you combine the offense with the defense, then everything you said about the person that he is, the leader that he is, it's a no-brainer. I, I think he's one of those guys, if, you, if you've if you ever had a chance to touch and feel the man, 
if you've ever gotten a chance to see him play live and just see how palpable his energy and his impact is on the game, I don't think you would doubt his Hall of Fame credentials. I think it's for those of us who maybe haven't been blessed to be able to get treated to those things that you may be a little bit speculative because I suppose if you look through some lens, at least maybe as recently as two years ago, maybe there were some milestones he had not achieved. Uh, but for those of us who have seen him play, uh, I think you count him, count yourself as blessed and, and count him as unequivocally a Hall of Famer. All right, your current squad, the Jaime Garcia trade, you also get a catcher in the trade. I mean, you've been you've been involved in how many different trades over the years? I mean, would you say hundreds? Are we talking hundreds of trades over your years as an executive? I, you know, I've never tallied him up. I, it's hard to envision it's a hundred, hundred, but you know, very well may have. I, I know in Texas in our time there, we we did reach the milestone of having completed a deal with each of the twenty nine clubs. So presumably we we had a multiples with quite a few. So it's certainly <laughs> more than a hundred. All right. So on the weirdness scale, the oddness scale, where does this one rank? Uh, in in what context? Well, I mean, you know, all this stuff leaks. Now, who knows? I mean, John Hart, former media guy, so who knows if he was the source or whoever the source was or sources were. I mean, all this stuff is leaking out. Was it Birdie? Was it somebody else? Was it Medicals? Trade was done last Thursday. No, it's not done. You go back to square one, then it gets done on Monday. So, I mean, just the oddness of everything that leaked, I guess. Yeah, I think think that's fair. You know, I think a lot of what you just detailed – does happen behind the scenes in a lot of trades where it's rare that you make an initial proposal and then come to completion pretty quickly. You know, there's usually a lot of back and forth and there are a few missteps along the way. I, I think the part that was most disheartening was the fact that, you know, of the many gentlemanly agreements in the game of baseball, I think it's widely regarded that not revealing who was in the other side of a deal that doesn't ultimately come to fruition is, is, towards the top of the list, but only surpassed by the fact that if someone fails a physical, I think we all, it's been time honored in our game. You never reveal the name of somebody who, who doesn't pass a physical. And it's for a variety of reasons, primarily first and foremost, just the impact that it has on the human being. I think sometimes we do lose sight of the fact that the, these trades do involve human beings. They impact people's lives, uh, sometimes very favorably, but sometimes uh, negatively. And when somebody is revealed to have an injury that maybe even surpasses their own understanding, that's extremely unfortunate for the individual. And obviously it's, it's, it's damning for the club as well. So that part of it was certainly disheartening. Now the realities of the game uh, today's day and age is when we're talking about these trades, we keep it to a pretty tight circle within our groups, but each member of that, that tight circle has the ability to tell one more person. And if you keep multiplying that chain, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it could find in the lap of somebody who has access to Twitter and gets out there. So you never know where these things emanate. I feel pretty confident it didn't come from our side, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it ne- technically came from their side either. It could have come from a third party. All right. So the individual that was involved, rumored to be out there, do you need to do damage control? Does... Does Derek, do you reach out to that player or do you just let it be? No, you, you absolutely reach out to the player. Uh, he's an instance of that, but you know what, what happens all too often in the trade deadline is people uh, who, once again, have access to Twitter and social media run with rumors that they hear and maybe portray trades as being closer than, than they may be. So trust me, this isn't the only call we're going to make to a player at the trade deadline of somebody who may think that they're further along in a trade process than they actually are. Oftentimes when things are reported as being close, uh, we are close to having our first conversation with a team. 
So we, we are constantly kind of doing damage control in that regard and trying to foster relations. We try to be on, as honest as we possibly can uh, and manage expectations through the process. But, you know, oftentimes we're calling a guy and saying, hey, that, that rumor is absolutely false. We're not even engaged with that club. And if we are, it's not not you know, involving you at this juncture. And I do think the players ultimately appreciate that because this is a very exciting time for them. But for others, it's a very troublesome time. You mentioned uh, Twitter a couple of times. Are you on Twitter? Yes, absolutely. You know, I think we, everyone in the game nowadays, we, we may malign some of the stuff that's covered in Twitter, but we all are following it because uh, you'd be surprised sometimes what, what, how trades uh, may, may start uh, being conjured up from, from a Twitter post that you, you realize that maybe a team's talking about a player that you weren't expecting. And half the time you call, they say, no, no, we're not talking about that player at all. But there's that one rogue time where you, you call based upon a tip off of, Twitter and you find that the team actually would talk about a player that you thought otherwise was unavailable. So we, we follow every member of the media. We follow other clubs and we follow players. You, you'd be surprised what the, they'll reveal about their character and themselves when you, when you follow them on Twitter. On Garcia, he'll be your, what, 12th different starter you will use this year? I mean, what, what are his strengths? Why, why go for him? I think I think you're looking at a, a starting pitcher who has an eight-year track record of being a middle-of-the-rotation performer, uh, both from a quality and a quantity standpoint. He's a pitchability pitcher who's demonstrated uh, the ability to get through good lineups. Uh, he also, if you know, we're blessed to get there, has had a great track record in the postseason. So I think we feel he's a guy who can really stabilize our starting rotation, uh, add real value to it. Uh, and then hopefully as the season progresses, continue to pitch in very meaningful games for us. I mean, he's an innings eater, right? I mean, even with his struggles, he normally – I mean, you can count on five innings from the guy at least, right? Well, that's a, that's what we think we're acquiring, and that's what we're going to count on, is that we think he lines up very well with top of our rotation with with Urban Santana and Jose Burrios and you know the emergence of, of Mejia. Uh, we think that this guy is going to fit very nicely with that group and then round it out by a guy like Bartolo Colon. And now this allows us to have Kyle Gibson waiting in the wings. We have Hector Santiago waiting in the wings. And we hope what this deal has done is shifted us from being a team that's kind of been chasing its tail starting pitching-wise to a team that may walk into the second half of the season or the post-trading deadline, I should say, seven major league starters deep. And that doesn't even count some of the young pitchers that we have on the come at this point. What does it say about ownership, That I mean, when they say, okay, green light, go ahead and add millions upon millions of dollars to the payroll. I mean, you probably know this in your short time here already, that there's this perception that the poll ads won't always spend money. 99% of those takes, the fans are just not informed. They don't have the full story. I mean, even going back to the draft, right, people didn't quite grasp, didn't quite understand, okay, Royce Lewis under slot, but then you're going over slot. You're still spending like 14 or $15 million. You're just spreading it out differently, but fans had a hard time grasping that. But what can be said about the poll ads, Dad, when they say, okay, go ahead, $4.5, 4000000 go ahead and add that? I, I think one of the biggest lessons in life is the distinction sometimes between the gap of perception and reality. And I think yes. the perception that you just <laughs> uh, outlined is far from the reality. I, I can tell you, uh, ever since Derek and I have gotten these opportunities last November, we've never had a conversation in which we've been uh, quashed in an idea based upon the finances associated therein. Uh, you know, if anything, Jim Polad's comment when we acquired uh, 
Jaime Garcia and took on his $4.6 million was, does this preclude us from doing anything else? And we kind of looked at him and said, well, mm-hmm. does it? And his response was, uh, if you guys can tell me that it's going to help us win, uh, bring the next idea to me. So I think that's the criteria he challenges us with is, you know, there's some very thoughtful business uh, directed questions that he asked relative to how does this enhance our team in the near term and the far term? Uh, and if we're able to answer those in a compelling fashion, I think he's shown that he's going to be very supportive. Have you gotten to him with any other ideas? Oh, we're, we're keeping him abreast of everything that we feel is, you know, at least past the 50-yard line, uh, knowing that, you know, one out of every 10 of those may actually come come to the red zone. But right now we are, uh, you know, we're in constant conversation with both he and Dave St. Peter, providing them with updates because we're cognizant of the fact that at times, you have to act very quickly and nimbly, and it's tough to do that if you haven't informed your ownership throughout the process. All right, so in general terms, are you are you at the 49-yard line on some other deal, the 40-yard line, the 35-yard line? Are you approaching the red zone? I think it's tough to prognosticate in those types of situations just because you know what you're prepared to do and what the other side's prepared to do are two totally different things. And believe it or not, even with less than a week to go, there's still teams out there who are trying to define where are they in the process between buying and selling. And then furthermore, if they've determined that, uh, where your opportunity presents to them ranks versus other opportunities. So there's a lot of teams who are just going to be very inclined to wait till the 29th, 30th, and 31st. At that point, I think the pace of this picks up significantly. In between now and then, there's a lot of feeling out going on. Uh, So it's hard to really understand today how far down the path you are with clubs I think you'll have a much better picture in the last 72 hours of the trade deadline. Are you guys in some way still in that boat? I mean, what are you? I mean, as we talk here on Tuesday afternoon, you're 500. You're, what, three and a half back in the division, third place. You're, what, two, two and a half back of the second wild card. I mean, could a case be made? Okay, so you bought Jaime Garcia, but could you sell an asset potentially if this week goes south? I I think what we have charged ourselves to do and how we've represented internally is regardless of the time of year, we're going to put ourselves in a position to ideally make good baseball trades. The Jaime Garcia deal, in our opinion, was a good baseball trade. Uh, It happened to have more, actually clearly more of a short-term impact than it would a long-term impact. Uh, But that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a trade in the next six days that presents itself that that is a good baseball trade that has a bigger bigger long-term impact than a short-term impact. We're just still in the phase of, of talent acquisition uh, where we feel as if if good baseball trades come across our desk, those are ones that we're going to contemplate. Those are ones that we're going to vet internally. Uh, and we're a little bit less conditioned based upon whether or not it's technically falling under the buying or selling category or the short-term or near-term category, but rather whether or not we just think this is a good value deal. Are you vetting any bad acquisitions or are we predominantly talking pitchers? Is the focus mainly if you end up making a baseball trade, that a pitcher would be coming in, not a bat? I think I think the, the shorter-term needs would be more on the pitching side than the offensive side. So I would qualify it by saying short-term, yes, maybe a little bit more of an eye towards pitching assets. Uh, but in terms of medium-term, long-term, I think we're equal opportunity as we just see the, the value in adding uh, you know, quality major league, future major league or current major league players to our stable of, of, of existing what we think is a burgeoning core of very exciting young players. All right, you could give me a smart-ass answer to this question, but give me the analytical answer. How do you explain a minus 68 run differential? 
Uh, well, to start with, it was a very bad series against the Houston Astros, which I think accounts still for at least 40% of that. You know, I think we've had, I think for the fans who've watched us play, uh, unfortunately, they've been treated to some very lopsided losses and, and far fewer lopsided wins. So, you know, I think the run differential and as it correlates to your winning percentage assumes a normal distribution of plus minuses in any given game. My guess is if you kind of did a scatter chart of our plus minuses on an individual game basis, we're a little bit more volatile than most. Uh, we have a, a lot of games that were outside the norm, which I assume is somewhere between plus five and minus five. We, we've had our fair share of minus eight to 12s and we have ver- had very few plus eight to 12s. And so I do think that's going to skew it a little bit. I think you do see most seasons where there's one team that seems to be an outlier. Uh, we may be that team this year. And I think what we view from a new school, old school analytics standpoint is we get it. We get the fact that the negative run differential typically will catch up to you at some point. I, I guess as we look at it sitting close to a hundred games in the season, it hasn't yet. That's also a reality. And whether or not we can exactly put our finger as to why that is uh, the facts are the facts that we're, within shouting distance of the NL Central crown, and we're also within shouting distance of being in a wild card, we're not going to take those things lightly either. A couple final points, and I'll let you go. How overstated was that ESPN report about Bartolo Colon retiring? I think there was a context issue there. Um, Bartolo actually reached out to Derek and myself afterwards to clarify pretty quickly that the comments that he made in his mind were addressing end-of-season decision-making for him not in-season decision-making for him, and he assured us that he was going to give us everything he had this year. Uh, we took that uh, that face value a lot more than we did the article, and I think there just may have been something lost a little bit in translation as to how proximate his decision-making was going to be. He assured us it was this off-season that he was referring to, not in-season. On his pitching performance, I guess specifically Monday night, I mean, what have you seen and heck, do you play like armchair manager? Are you sitting in your Barca lounger in that West Metro Palace of yours and saying, "Okay, Molly, why'd you take Cologne out, or why didn't you give Belial another inning?" Do you do that? I assure you, if we ever do it, it's entirely constructive. Uh, but yeah, we're all we all I think think about the decisions that are made around the team, or that's on the field in the front office and scouting and player development. You name it. You know, if you've been in the game long enough, recovered the game long enough, you, you find yourself thinking along with the manager as best you can, trying to identify what are the options uh, still left to you and how you would employ those options. But to answer your, your first question, I, I think we've seen back-to-back outings where Bartolo's pitched extremely well for the, through four innings, hit mm-hmm. a little bit of a wall in the fifth. Uh, I think you can't minimize the fact that he's faced arguably two of the three or four best offenses in the game. I would like to see him get it. And an outing against some team that isn't have a team OPS above 800 <laughs> uh, to, to, to get a little bit of a better feel for him. But he's, he's a craftsman now. You know, this is a guy who came up in the game as a power pitcher and could just straight over power hitters. He's not that guy anymore. He's outsmarting them. He's out beguiling them. And you see how he has pockets of real success against extremely good lineups. So I'm encouraged by the first two starts. And he certainly is out there competing uh, extremely high, and he fields his position well. So I think there's a lot of positives that he's bringing to the team right now. And once again, like to see him get five to six starts under his belt where you know a handful of those are against human offenses rather than superhuman ones. 
Admittedly, there's recency bias because Kyle Gibson had a good start his last time out, but was the decision easy, Mejia over Gibson, that Gibson's total body of work where you needed an opening there in the rotation with, with Garcia that you had to send Gibson back to Rochester? Uh, honestly, I, I would tell you I think the ones that we deem to be easy means we're probably missing something. So none of these decisions involving human beings really are, are easy. I think there's a lot that goes into them, a lot of discussion. Uh, you know, we talked about the possibility of a six-man rotation. We talked about the possibility of Kyle going to the 10. At the end of the day, we just determined not knowing what else is going to transpire in between now and the deadline, having a guy who's major league ready starting every fifth day in Rochester was more valuable to us than trying to put him into a different role, maybe a role that he wasn't as comfortable with, uh, just because time will tell as, as to how quickly we'll need Kyle Gibson again, but I assure you will be before the end of the season. How many scouts do you have out and about, I guess, this week? Did I hear that Larry Corrigan, I know he had a stroke last year, that he's he's not able to work right now, but do you have special assignment scouts out watching some guys that, that are on the, you know, the trade market that you guys have interest in? I would say the short answer to how many scouts we have out right now is all of them. Uh, this is a time of year that we'll bring Mike Radcliffe and Vernon Falwell into the office, and then the rest of the fleet is out there, uh, you know, in a blend of minor league ballparks across America and major league ballparks across America. Very targeted at this juncture. Uh, it was a little bit broader leading up to the the deadline, but as we get a better sense of the teams we may be doing business with, uh, we start honing in on their systems so that we can have as as recent a look on their players as possible. Uh, we look at the body of the work, but we also just want to see what's what's the most recent information. But all the guys that are out there in the field right now, this is kind of their Super Bowl, uh, and they're excited. We're, we're in constant contact with these guys. The catcher you got in the Garcia trade, will he start at AAA? Tell us about him. Anthony Recker was uh, acquired in this deal. Uh, we are kind of blessed right now to have J.R. Murphy and Mitch Garver at AAA. He's going to go to AAA as well. I think there's a chance that uh, the net impact is that he may end up getting everyday reps at double A. But right now I think we're looking at it as like, this gives us a ton of major league depth on the catching side uh, that could prove to be very valuable, you know, whether for us or potentially for trade down the line. So uh, it was an, it was a nice addition to the deal. Uh, these are how some of these deals get rounded out at the 12th hour. Uh, but it was extra value coming back to us that we, we liked and, and, you know, ultimately made the deal even that much more palatable for us. Five catchers on the 40-man roster is, I don't know, interesting? Is that the right word, maybe? Well, I think it's it's a short-term situation. It's not one for in perpetuity. Uh, right now we're able to do it just with a function of some of the other moves we've made, but it's certainly not probably sustainable indefinitely. And right now we're going to enjoy it and uh, watch these guys all play and, and develop together and make decisions as they approach in the in the future all right a number of injury updates and we'll send you on your way let's start with i guess in no particular order hector santiago hector santiago is going to start a rehab assignment here we're hopeful that with the time down that he's had that he's two to three starts from coming back into the big leagues and being uh, a factor for us you know where he fits on the 12-man staff will somewhat be conditional on what player moves we make in between now and the time of his return but as I mentioned to you earlier, I think we feel like we have gone from what was kind of a depleted uh, department, which is starting pitching, to one that is flush at this point. And he will only add to that group when he's uh, up and running again. Trevor May, is he on course after the Tommy John that puts him out for the year? 
I'm glad you brought him up. I think he's a guy that our fan base probably has lost sight of. Yeah. We get to see him almost on a daily basis rehabbing here. He's good uh, when he's healthy. Is, you, well, this is going to be a heck of a off-season acquisition for us going into next year. This was somebody who was supposed to be one of our five starters. We already know what type of uh, value he can bring in the back end of a bullpen. So it's a really versatile pitcher who should be 100% going into next spring. Uh, and really we view as a guy who will be a nice off-season acquisition uh, and one where we don't have to give up anything to get him. Phil Hughes, I mean, presumably out for the year, but is there a thought that he'll be okay in 2018? That's that's really the impetus for him to be out for the rest of the years. If surgery is required to have it done sooner than later, which then would allow him uh, to have a normal offseason rather than be rehabbing all offseason and not really throwing and being behind going to next spring training. We view this guy as one of our five starters. Uh, that's the value he brings to our club. Uh, so similar to the story we just had about Trevor May, he, he's a off-season acquisition that we're pretty damn excited about. But we wanted to give him as long a runway as possible to have success walking into spring training next year. So that's the decision we made. We were going to prioritize his health and his contributions in 2018 over his uh, relief contributions here for down the stretch in 2017. Glenn Perkins, a couple more outings in Fort Myers. I mean, can he... Thad, can he be effective at the major league level if he's only throwing whatever he's at right now, 88, 89, maybe 90? Also, I, I think the good news with Glenn is he's feeling better. He feels as if the hitters are responding uh, to his pitches increasingly less comfortable than they had been. Uh, and we've had some scouts watch him, and they've started to use terms like crispness when associating mm. with his stuff. So Good. it's a long road. We're in, we're in the home stretch with him. Uh, but I think there's still a lot more outings on the minor league level that he can have where the velocity may creep up even a little bit more. But I'm quite certain that a guy with his history and his experience will be able to figure out how to get big league hitters out, even if he doesn't get peaked bad at Cavett his upper 90s velocity that he had as one of the, you know, the chief parts of his arsenal when he was pitching before. What's his velocity at now? I think he's been topping it out around 87, 88. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen it creep up a little bit each outing or every other outing, probably more realistically. So time will tell us to what it would be when he toes the rubber here in Minneapolis. JT Shagwa. JT Shagwa is a, a little bit of an underrated uh, aspect of the 2017 Minnesota Twin season. And I would couple him with with uh, Birdie and a couple of him with Reed. Mm -hmm. These are three power arms in our bullpen that we expected to matriculate to the big leagues at some point and, and play significant roles, whether it was in the first half or second half of the season. Uh, due to a myriad of injuries, all three of these guys has not had the progress that we had expected. You, you sometimes lose sight of that, but if you then add on to that group, Ryan O'Rourke and Trevor May, it's a quintet of pitchers that we thought were going to be mainstays in our 12-man set at some point in the season, uh, none of whom have really been available for us at the big league level this year. It's a significant loss, uh, but the good news is they're all coming back, uh, and so they will provide us that same level of, of depth and value going into next season. Uh, unfortunate that we had to delay it a year with those guys, uh, but we're very excited to have all five of those guys available for us as we head down the stretch here and then heading into next season in some of those cases. So O'Rourke, Shagwa, no chance of coming back this year? Uh, Shagwa does. Uh, O'Rourke doesn't. He's he's uh, like Trevor May. He actually had Tommy John after Trevor May did. Okay, I missed that. So okay. He's the next year option mm -hmm. for us, but Shagwa should 
uh, you know, barring any setback, and we're, we're, we're still kind of managing the injuries. But uh, hopefully he and Jake Reed actually could make an impact later this season if they, if they stay healthy. All right, two more names. You talked about a quintet. I mean, what about Tyler J? I mean, he's not a young guy. He makes the transition to the bullpen. He's a guy, if he got off to a good start this year, April and May, if he was healthy, who knows? Maybe Tyler J would have been up at some point this year. I think it's exactly right. I mean, you add him to the list. It's it's a grouping of guys that when you look at a major league season, you know that you're going to need a wave of help from the minor leagues. And probably what's more is you're going to need the wave after that wave. And that group represented some blend of the wave and then the wave after the wave. And, and by and large, they've been absolutely depleted by injuries. And that, that's been a significant impact on this major league team. Uh, you know, we had visions of what the, the bullpen could have looked like in the second half of the season. A lot of those guys factored into that decision-making process. And, and while they were going to have to compete and earn their right to get up here, you felt that they would have been a nice blend in with some of the existing veterans we have. Hasn't proven out that way. Other guys have had a chance to step up. You have to create that mentality of the next man up. But in practice, uh, that's a pretty significant erosion of upside, talented this wave and next wave type pitchers that we've been without for the season. And then the last name I scribbled down was Alex Kiriloff, last year's first round pick. Uh, Tommy John for a position player, and you know he's per, he's uh, progressing very well in his rehab assignment. Should be an, a non-factor going into next year. Probably will be able to participate in some blend of instructional league and some off-season programming this year, so that he should be full go. Really, not even next year but really this off season so we're excited about him he's a, he's another guy Luis Arias is another guy who was a you know prospect on the rise whose star was certainly uh, in the right trajectory who had a knee injury that he'll he'll be back uh, Cole Stewart had some injuries earlier this year one of our premium prospects mm-hmm. he, he's on the mend right now too so uh, behind the scenes there have been a handful of guys who've had uh, minor to major setbacks in 2017 none of whom had anything career-threatening, all of whom will be full go going into next year. We're really excited about that because overall those guys represented the lion's share of our top 15 in our prospect board. Unfortunately, a lot of them sustained injuries in 2017. Dad, you were very gracious with your time. I hope I didn't, like, throw off trade talks. Like, your phone was blowing up. You know, you had to put people on hold. You're talking to me for, like, 28 minutes. In the meantime, you could have been making a trade. So I hope I didn't screw anything up for you. There, there was some zizzing going on in the background, but the, the day is young. I will be happy to return those calls now. Very nice. Thank you so much, Dad. I'll be in touch. Talk to you soon. Okay, see ya. Hey, everyone. Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore here from the Touch em All podcast. Now, the Twins might not be very good in recent years, but our podcast is pretty damn good. Phil, that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay, our podcast is, is pretty good. Well. Okay, we have a podcast. You can find us talking twins on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com every week. Twins general manager Thad Levine, he is so good, so insightful, doesn't dodge questions. Some specifics, I know the twins have touched base with San Diego. In fact, Thad Levine is close with San Diego's front office, at least has a good relationship with them. The price for Chaska's Brad Hand, he was on the Scoop podcast a few weeks ago, is incredibly high. There is no momentum on any sort of hand-to-Minnesota deal, but I did hear that the Twins have inquired. Also, David Phelps, before he went from the Marlins to the Mariners, the Twins had some interest, but it didn't go anywhere. Also, 
As national pundits have suggested, the Twins have talked to the A's about Sonny Gray. But again, just like with Hand, there is no momentum as of now in any sort of Gray to Minnesota trade. I think it was last week. Was it Scoop Podcast episode 85? Was it on 1500 ESPN? I was talking about the trip to Boston. How my six-year-old was lucky. He's spoiled. He's very fortunate just knowing the people. You work in this business. You get to know a lot of people. One of my best friends works for the Red Sox. Laid out the red carpet. Droogie got to announce a batter at the Sunday Yankees-Red Sox game. He got a foul ball. We sat down the first baseline. You know, he's just not old enough to quite have perspective, though, of how lucky he is, how most six-year-olds do not get to do the sorts of things that he does, at least when it comes to being at Fenway Park, going to the Red Sox games, going to Twins games, meeting some athletes from time to time. But anyway, as high as he was emotionally for the Red Sox trip, all he did in Boston, those emotions came crashing down on Monday night when we had to put our 10-and-a-half-year-old, well, heck, we had him for 10-and-a-half years. We adopted him, rescued him from All Dog Rescue in Minneapolis. Wyclef, we rescued him when he was roughly, they didn't have his medical records because they got him from a high-kill shelter, but he was roughly 11 to 13 months. We had him for 10-and-a-half years. My wife, who was then my girlfriend, we adopted him in March of 07, so he was with us for nearly 10-and-a-half years. He was about 11 and a half years old, give or take, which isn't bad for a 90-pound mutt. Now, mutts oftentimes live longer than purebreds, but still, when you're 90 pounds, you're a really big dog. If you get to 11 or 12, it's a pretty good run, but it's also a reminder that man's best friend, you know, you're lucky if they live until they're 11, 12, 13. This is the third time I've had to put a dog down. We had to put him down on Monday. We found out in January... He had a tumor in his nose, inoperable, and he started gushing blood everywhere in January. So we brought him in. They did the x-rays. They said, hey, he's got a tumor. You can take him to the University of Minnesota vet, find out if it's cancerous, non-cancerous, but there really isn't anything we can do based on the location of the tumor. They gave us some Asian herbal medicine. It actually worked. The bleeding stopped. He had not had an episode for a number of months, in fact, seven months until we woke up on Monday morning, there was blood all over our living room. He had lost a ton of blood. He was lethargic. Now, we gave him the Asian herbal medicine. He regained a little bit of composure. He was able to eat a little piece of turkey, a little piece of cheese. He was wagging his tail a little bit, but my wife said, I need to bring him in. I said, absolutely, you bring him in. I had to go to Mankato. I was carpooling with a couple other individuals. Probably a mistake on my part, something I regret not having my own car down there. So I was stuck in Mankato, and my wife brought Wycliffe to the vet. He started bleeding uncontrollably. A couple hours later, it got to the point where he was going to bleed to death, and we had to make the tough decision to put him down, put him to sleep. And it never gets easier. In fact, of the three dogs that I've had to put down in my adulthood, this would be the toughest. You just you think about all the life events you know, pre-marriage, pre-kids, you know, bringing home the two kids from the hospital, you know, and Wycliffe greeting us, and he was so good to those boys. So, you know, Droogie was the highest of highs emotionally, going back to our Boston trip a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago, and now he's the lowest of lows. Got a call from him on Tuesday night. I work late on Tuesdays, the one night I work late at Channel 5. Got a call from Droogie, and he was bawling. He was bawling out of control, and at six years old, doesn't quite grasp, understand that Wycliffe is never coming back. So 
That is why my energy level is somewhat low compared to other Scoop podcasts, but hopefully you are bearing with me. We will bring Joe Schmidt into the conversation soon. He was recently in Walton, Kentucky. He hung for the day with Mike Zimmer at Zimmer Ridge Ranch. So he got all sorts of insight about Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings. So we'll get to that in a second. I will say on the Vikings, talking to a Vikings front office official when I was in Mankato on Monday, it sounds like the Xavier Rhodes extension is just about done. Now, when they decide to announce it, that's up to them, but it's a matter of when, not if. They will sign Xavier Rhodes to a big money, long-term extension. Some people said, hey, look at what Darius Slay got with the Lions. Look at what Marcus Trufant got with the Falcons. Rhodes will fall right into that slot, maybe a little bit more than what Slay got in Detroit. But they will sign Xavier Rhodes. They will announce at least. I mean, it might be done as I'm taping this on late Tuesday night, but they will announce in the near future. Now, who knows? Maybe it's a few weeks from now, but they will announce at some point in the near future a massive contract extension for Xavier Rhodes. I also, while talking to this front office official, I said, hey, give me one guy that's out here right now. So there's like 40 players on the field right now, mostly rookies, a lot of undrafted rookies, the draft picks, a couple of veterans that are rehabbing injuries. Case Keenum is there for, for the quarterbacks, as is a couple other guys like you know Latavius Murray. He's rehabbing off to the side on the physically unable to perform list. Same goes for Sharif Floyd. But anyway, I said to this front office official, I said, hey, Give me one guy you are most excited of the guys that are out there right now. Give me the name of a guy that you are most excited to see in full pads. They'll go full pads here end of the week, or maybe it's early next week. I don't have the exact schedule in front of me, but it's either late this week or early next week. They'll put on the full pads. Without hesitation, he said Pat Elfline. He said Elfline is smart. He's tough. He's strong. Maybe not the most stout, but there is a lot to like about Pat Elfline. I think all signs point to Pat Elfline being the Vikings starting center as much as they like Nick Easton. All signs point to Elfline being the starting center week one Monday night football against the Saints at U.S. Bank Stadium September 11th. Some quickie Wolves notes. Can't recall if I mentioned this in Scoop Podcast episode 85 or not, but they did offer Matt Costello a two-way contract. He told them no, signed a two-way contract with the Spurs. There was the news on Tuesday afternoon that the Wolves signed Anthony Brown, the former Stanford sharpshooter, to a two-way contract. That is a one-year two-way contract. It's a dicey proposition. A lot of agents are telling their clients the two-way contract is not the way to go. It's not like you're guaranteed the 45 days on the big roster, plus you are handcuffed. If another team wants to pick you up, you signed with that particular team. Now, when it comes to Perry Ellis, had a decent summer in Vegas for the Wolves. The Wolves never did officially offer him a two-week contract, but I had told you if they had, he was going to tell them, if you give me a 45-day guarantee so I can maximize my earning potential, if you give me the 45-day guarantee, I'm yours. But it never got to that point. On the Dayton kid, Charles Cook, he has let it be known to the Wolves that he doesn't have an interest in any sort of two-way contract, at least not in Minnesota. I know New Orleans. Now, New Orleans made a roster move on Tuesday afternoon. I should check to see if that impacts Cook's situation. But I know New Orleans has an interest in Charles Cook. Cook's point is, hey, why not give me one of the open roster spots? You have four. Now, they'll carry 14, not 15, so they'll add three more bodies. Why not make me one of the three? You need a couple wings. Sign me. Make it one of those contracts that's non-guaranteed. You have until January 10th to make a decision on me. If I show you enough, my contract becomes fully guaranteed for the season on January 11th. If I don't show you enough, you let me go on January 9th. But so far, no real traction on that front. 
All right, on Kyrie Irving, great report by Brian Windhorst. We had him on Scoop Podcast episode 85. So we talked a lot about the Irving to Minnesota possibility on Scoop Podcast episode 85. It is true. I mean, Brian is dead on. His colleagues at ESPN are dead on. The Wolves have interest in Kyrie Irving. Irving has interest in the Wolves. The hammer that Irving has is he can sign a contract extension next summer, but if the Cavs trade him somewhere he doesn't want to go, Phoenix, for example, he can tell the Suns, hey, you have me for two years, but I am not signing a contract extension. Why don't you trade me somewhere where, you know, hey, I will sign a contract extension, Minnesota being one of those places, him and Butler can sign contract extensions next summer. So he may tell Cleveland through his agent, hey, trade me somewhere where they know I'll stay, tell Phoenix, or his agent can tell Phoenix, hey, you're making a mistake trading for Kyrie Irving. He has no interest in signing a contract extension with you. The unanswerable question, at least right now, is would the Wolves give up Andrew Wiggins? There's not a scenario. I've been asked a lot on Twitter. There's not a scenario where the Wolves can get Kyrie Irving without giving up Andrew Wiggins. They have to give up Andrew Wiggins to get Kyrie Irving. Now, what's interesting is I can promise you, I can tell you that Jimmy Butler doesn't reach out to Kyrie Irving without Tom Thibodeau's blessing. He's not doing that just randomly. I am told Tibbs enjoyed coaching Irving with Team USA. Sure, the defense is probably bothersome, but when you have an offensive talent like that, one of the great offensive talents, a guy that can create his own shot whenever he wants, the ball handling skills that Irving has, I think every coach would take a Kyrie Irving. as a top 15, top 20 player in the entire NBA. Andrew Wiggins, if he hits a ceiling, is that, but... The question is, after this many years in the NBA, will he hit that? But what I can't answer, it's the unanswerable question right now. A, would Tom Thibodeau give up Andrew Wiggins to get Kyrie Irving? He also likes Wiggins. A reminder, we had Glenn Taylor on the Scoop Podcast a couple weeks ago. He said Wiggins was off limits to Chicago. Chicago asked about Wiggins. The Wolf said, no way, no how will we give up Andrew Wiggins to acquire Tibbs's guy, Jimmy Butler. So would they give up Wiggins To get Kyrie Irving, has the narrative now changed now that you have Jimmy Butler? I don't have that answer quite yet. I know you come here to the Scoop Podcast for all the answers. I don't have the answer to that question quite yet. A, would Tom Thibodeau give up Andrew Wiggins to get Kyrie Irving? Would ownership, would Glenn Taylor specifically, give up Wiggins to acquire Kyrie Irving? But if the Wolves put Andrew Wiggins on the table, there is no doubt in my mind, there is no doubt in a lot of people involved in the league's mind, collective mind, that the Wolves would have a great chance. In fact, Kyrie Irving would end up here. I mean, a lot of people say if the Wolves put Andrew Wiggins on the table, Kyrie Irving, there's a very good chance he would end up in Minnesota. Now, whether I would do the deal, I can just tell you this. There are many league people that I text, I talk to, I take the temperature of. I would say a majority, maybe even 90%, have told me they would move Wiggins in a package to get Kyrie Irving. All right, let's transition. I talked earlier in the podcast about bringing in Joe Schmidt of Five Eyewitness News, the sports director, into the conversation. My superior, this was a very tough booking, but somehow, someway, I forced Joe to walk up the flight of steps into the radio studio, and here he is. Hello, Joe. Hey, this is a podcast, so I can swear it all right, huh? You actually could, yeah, if you really wanted yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought you were capable of swearing. So, yeah, I mean, you could surprise me. If you want to spew a couple swear words, go for it, Joe. <laughs> No, that's all right. That's all right. Now, I bet you heard maybe a swear word or two. Just a hunch. You were down in Walton, Kentucky. Take us through the trip. You were down there, Walton, Kentucky. Mike Zimmer, the Vikings coach, has a ranch down there. You have a great relationship with Mike. Yeah. You spent the day with him recently. Yeah, you know, I worked on it for a while because, you know, Mike 
doesn't let a lot of people into his personal life, and he knew we'd kind of get into his personal life, but he's really proud of this ranch. And um, so we went down there. It was about two weeks ago, and it was right during the time where he couldn't fly yet, so he was kind of waiting to get back from, you know, get back to Minnesota and start getting ready for training camp. So he was waiting to hear from the doctor. And then the second thing was this was about a week after his daughter got married. So it was kind of in that interim time. And I think he was going a little stir-crazy down there because uh, he invited uh, Bob Hagen and Eric Sugarman, the trainer, down. They went in the day before, and then I went in. And actually the day I was there, um, for a while a Sports Illustrated photographer was there because they were kind of shooting him and his his house a little bit too. So that's why I brought Hagen down. He had a couple of media commitments. and uh, But it was a... It was a really nice deal because he is so proud of this land and so proud of this home that he built, and he's got this beautiful pond out front. So you got to take a look. This guy's an outdoor guy at heart. You know, that is where is he gets away. He loves to hunt. He loves to fish. He loves to walk around in the woods. He's got 176 acres, and he bought the land when he was still with Cincinnati. And this is kind of interesting because he's always liked the outdoors. He's always liked to hunt and fish, and he found some places. He was in Cincinnati for a while, and he was in Dallas for a long time. So he was always in the outdoors, and he came across this land, and he decided to buy this land. He closed on the land, and I think it was like six months later, the Vikings gave him the head coaching job. <laughs> so, you know, his plan was he was going to be in Cincinnati for a while. He really didn't think he was going to get another head coaching opportunity. So he so he gets the land, and, uh, and uh, in the last year, he built this beautiful 8,000-square-foot home up on the ridge, so he calls it Zimmer Ridge Ranch. I mean, is it just a man cave? It is. It is a man cave, and it's it's very interesting because uh, it it felt. I told him it felt like a ski lodge, except he had dead animals in there too. You know, so because how he, many are we talking? Like well, dozens? He, no, he had a big deer. He had this this animal that he shot down in uh, Texas, and I'm not sure what it was, but he said it was the kind of animal that would actually dig under a fence. They would run and the huge animals, 800 pounds. <laughs> and then he's got a moose that he said he didn't shoot, but he just had the the moose head there. And he's, you know, you know who else's live who else's living room is not complete with a stuffed turkey in your living room. So, <laughs> but but here was the interesting part about the decor. Uh, two things were interesting. Uh, one, he designed the house and what he wanted in the house, and he wanted he wanted a bar and kind of he wanted a great room. He wanted a big room where he could have a, the big screen TV. Actually, has then kind of in the second half of the great room, he's got the bar and he's got the big screen TV that can put up four screens at one time, so he can watch four NFL games. And I said, well, you're always working on those. His neighbor comes over to watch NFL games. The guy watches his house. Oh, that's classic. He's got the NFL tickets, so the guy who watches the house comes over on Sunday <laughs> so they can watch Zimmer in his house on his TV. Oh, I love it. But uh, but anyway, it's um, uh, he designed it and everything on it, but he said once he went down, once he went back for Minnesota football, he told his builder and his realtor, you guys take care of everything. He goes, don't call me to find out if I want an outlet here. Don't call me. He goes, I want the furniture. I want the dishes. I want the silverware. I want the glasses. I want everything. He said they would send me pictures, and he goes, and he goes. the rule was if I didn't get back to him and say no within like 48 hours, they'd go ahead and do it. So, so you know, he is, you know, he's, you know, his wife passed away in 2009, so you know, it is a manly place, um, but it is also gorgeous. It, it it sits up, and, you know, you look out the front of his house, and there's a lot of windows, and you see this big, beautiful pond. He's got bass. He's got some uh, crappies and some bluegill and things like that in there, too. And then uh, out his backyard, he's got this, you know, big outdoor fire pit. 
grill the whole thing and and then there's the woods and he's got a skeet shooting place on it they they grow soybeans there one of the assistant coaches for cincinnati is a beekeeper so he keeps his bees there <laughs> um it's yeah it's just it's it's really a cool place and then he's got the four wheelers he's got the quad and uh, you know we just took off riding around and he's you know showing you all this stuff he, I mean, he's, he really is proud of it and he's uh, he also you know, is trying to make the habitat better for the animals. He's got that, you know, it's always interesting. I'm not a hunter. I, I no, I'm not either. A hunter. Yeah. But it's funny that guys who kill animals like to make it better for the animals. And it's not necessarily just to set it up. Mm-hmm, my brother-in-law, but he's, but he's that's got, him in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's and that I, I appreciate those kinds of uh, outdoorsmen. He's got deer stands, and he's always working on something. I said, are you much of a putzer? And he said, not really, but he goes, he finds something to do. Every morning he wakes up, he's got a four-and-a-half-mile trail on his property, and then he walks around, and he walks by his neighbor, Lenny. Lenny will invite him in for breakfast. <laughs> I said, everybody needs a Lenny. Uh, you know, okay, so you brought up his, his late wife. Tell the story about, is it a tree? Something's planted on the yeah. property? That's, that's going to be in the story that uh, will air on Channel 5. And by the time you probably hear this, you can probably find it online. Well, or actually, I mean, this will be processed sometime either late, late Tuesday or Wednesday morning. It airs Thursday night, Channel 5. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. So yeah. depending on when you listen to this. Well, Otherwise it, online, yes. I, I found this, I found it actually, you know, kind of touching. Because you got this big, tough football coach. And, you know, he, 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 he can swear and he can be, he's a man's man kind of guy. And, and all of a sudden he was talking about how, um, they they planted this tree for Vicky, and and he said her favorite color was purple. And you should see this tree when it blossoms. It blossoms out purple. It's really pretty, you know. And you hear Mike Zimmer say that. That's interesting. So then I said to him, I said, Have you thought about that at all? You know, Vicky's you know favorite color was purple, and you end up with the Vikings mm-hmm. shortly after. And he said, he goes, his daughter told him. He said Vicky spelled her name V I K K I. And he goes, so you got the purple and you got V-I-K. He goes, maybe she had something to do with it. So that was pretty cool. And then the other thing I thought was pretty cool, and, and uh, unfortunately he told me this off camera. I wish I would have got it on camera. But uh, so his daughter got married. Corey got married this summer in Dallas. And uh, because Corey's mom wasn't there, Vicky obviously being Corey's mom, he went to the shower, the only man at the shower. He went to her wedding dress fittings and picking out and all this kind that of stuff. That is very cool. Yeah, and you sit there once again. It's and that's the side of Mike Zimmer. You know, the Vikings fans would expect. You know, the kind of guy that will go up to you know some rookie this, you know, this next week and chew him, chew him a new. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you're right. Ass. Pretty good, you know. So, so it's uh, uh, you know, it that 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 was that was really kind of the fun part. How about football wise? I mean, what stood out? I mean, you obviously talked a lot of football. A lot of it was yeah. life and, yeah. you know, seeing his man cave. But you clearly talked some football. What stood out from a football standpoint? That he didn't think that they were that far away. He said he thinks this team is closer to the team that won the division in 2015 than the team that blew it in 2016. And because and I, I said, I said, you know, you when you look at it, in 2015 at this time, if you had to name the four or five NFC teams that could go to the Super Bowl, the Vikings were named, right? Would you agree? When they when they were drawing up the list in, in 2015, yeah. the Vikings certainly were in that mix. Okay, I'll grant you that. Yeah, certainly one of the up and companies. And then, you know, this this year nobody's talking about the Vikings. And what have they done? They've improved their offensive line. They're still gonna have a top 
you know, what he hopes a top five defense. Should be. I mean, they um, lost to Captain Munnerlin. Chad Greenway barely played. I mean, you have everybody else back. You have everybody else back if you can keep Harrison Smith healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, he expects Trey Waynes to make a big move this year, so your secondary could be, you know, could actually be better. You Interesting. Know, I don't know if Trey can take another leap. I mean, he was okay, I guess. He was serviceable last year. That's the guy you think. Can he be a stud? A I don't know. Well, that was the question I asked. I said, who's your breakout player this year? And, and interestingly, the first thing he said is, uh, he said, Adam Thielen would not have been my pick for breakout player last year because I used him as the example. And... uh and then he said that uh, you know, the person he thought was the breakout player last year didn't play very well. As a matter of fact, that's where he swore. <laughs> Did he say the player's name? Uh, uh, under under Secret Service, yeah, I can't say anything. All right, a defensive uh, player. How about that? Yeah, it was a defensive player. All right. And then um, and then he said this year, if he had to pick, he'd say Trey Waynes. Because hmm. he's you know he said it's a confidence thing with with Waynes. So that then we I kind of started talking to him about leadership because I kind of get into this a little bit, but. You know, talking about his philosophy on leadership and then how he finds good leaders on the team. How does he know that Chad Greenway is a good leader? And uh, so, first of all, when he was talking about leadership, he was saying, you know, the, the thing you got to do is you got to realize everybody on that team, you know, wants to do well. A running back wants to rush for 1,000 yards. A defensive tackle wants to get eight sacks. You know, somebody wants to make $10 million. He said, you have to somehow get those 53 guys who have those thoughts in mind with their agents their parents, their fans, their family, all in their ears, people telling them, I need you to score in fantasy football. Mm -hmm. To block all that out and say, you know, it might be better for me and the team if I let the linebacker make the tackle or get the sack and I hold the defensive lineman off, meaning I don't get the sack. I end up with five sacks, but we win. And I I thought that was interesting because that really is kind of the key to leadership is to get everybody to buy into the team concept. And, it, and everybody talks about it, but I think the good teams figure it out. So then I said, how do you know when, you know, when you have a good leader in the locker room? And he said, when he can hear them repeating what he says. He said, if they become my voice in the locker room. And, and he said, you know, Greenway was a good example of that because he would hear Greenway. He said, you know, Terrence Newman, he'll, t- hear, he'll hear Newman saying something to a young defensive back talking about, you know, that's the way you got to approach it, whether it was mentally or whether it was just, you know, some kind of technique thing. So I found, I found that was that was all interesting, too. About Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Teddy, we'll find out sometime Wednesday or Thursday. He's, he's starting camp on the physically unable to perform list. I mean, that's not exactly going to be breaking news. But is there a thought from Mike that Teddy may come back? And at some point, Teddy will talk to us. I mean, we haven't talked to Teddy, at least on the record. Right. I mean, since the injury. Well, and, and here's something. I mean, he was, nearly lost his leg, right? Well, it, that yeah. story's never really been told. Well, we I told a little bit. Uh, we we ran that bite when uh, we ran we ran a little story earlier this week when I got Zimmer talking about Sugarman because basically he said Sugarman saved his leg. All right, so that'll be on KSTP.com. You yeah, can find KSTP. it on the sports page yeah. on KSTP.com. And uh, you know, Eric Sugarman and his staff did everything exactly right that day that saved his leg because anything that had gone wrong. Even the ambulance not getting there in a short period of time. You know, Sugarman would, would told me that the minute he saw what was happening, he needed he knew that he needed some splints and he looked up and his assistant is standing there with splints. And he's, as he's grabbing the splints, he said, Did anybody call? Obviously he looks at his other assistants on the phone calling nine one one to get the ambulance there. Apparently guys were throwing. I mean, this was, I asked him, I said, was this a Joe Theisman thing where everybody knew how serious it was? 
And he said, that's probably a pretty good explanation, except it wasn't a broken bone. But people were throwing helmets. People were almost getting ill. I mean, this was, I mean, remember, they quit practice. Everybody mm-hmm. walked in that day, and Zimmer sent everybody home. Mm-hmm. This was a traumatic injury. And and anyway, uh, Zimmer, so, so when I asked Zimmer, I said, you know, I said, you just seem to be the number one guy talking about Teddy more than anybody. I said, the media can talk about Teddy, but you always put that, just that carrot out there that he might come back. And he said because of where he was and what he knew about the injury, he should not be where he's at right now. So how can I count him out? So, you know, you know, my, my guess is in a perfect world scenario, what is it now in the NFL? You get like the fifth or sixth week and you bring a guy off the pup. You got one or two moves. Yeah, it might be a little later than that. But is yeah. there hope that midseason that – he has a chance to be the number two quarterback. I, you know, I, I I don't think I don't think they're ruling it. I out. mean, it's Sam's team. We know that, right? I mean, unless yeah. Sam gets hurt, yeah. This is Bradford's team the entire 2017 season. But I guess there's a scenario where maybe Teddy's the number two guy at some point. And uh, the other thing that kind of surprised me, he you know he went down and spent some time with Bradford in Oklahoma. You know, they, he just felt he needed a better relationship with Sam. Mm. And you know, Bradford, we kind of covered him, and I think anybody who covers him thinks that you know he's. A different guy. I don't think anybody really knows him. Certainly not from the media standpoint. I've always assumed there's a lot more there. He doesn't open up to us. No, we don't I, know him. Nobody in the media knows him. I, you know, I think that sometimes when a veteran quarterback, you saw a little bit with Favre, when a veteran quarterback comes in town and they've been burnt a few times by the media, or they've been, you know, he certainly had his made a lot of money and took a lot of criticism. They just come off guarded and they said, you know what, I can't trust anybody anymore. I will do my news conferences. I will give answers, but nobody's going to really find out who I am or what makes me tick. And that that's a little bit what I think is there with Bradford. I don't know if that's right or not. I think there's probably something to be said. I mean, heck, when you play in the in the grinder of Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can only imagine. Or even in St. Louis. I'm sure at some points he, he felt like he was burned. I mean, even think about I mean, he was on a pedestal. I mean, he was on a great college team, multiple great college teams. Yeah. In Oklahoma, but I mean, Oklahoma Sooners football is the state of Oklahoma, you know. So I mean, he's always been on this pedestal. So I'm sure somewhere along the way, the criticism, whatever, it started to add up, or people started yeah. to pry into his personal life. But kind of getting back to the ranch, the other thing I thought thought was interesting because I I asked him, I said, you know, is this where you truly get away from football? And he said, you know, there are times he does, but he said, you know, he'd be out riding in a quad, you know, think about some defensive formation they want to try against some offense. Or he'll say something. He'll be thinking about a mistake. He, for example, Bradford threw an interception, and he'll think, "I know why he threw that interception. He thought they were going to be in the this de- defense because they disguised it." So he'd send him a text and say, "You know that play in the Raiders game, <laughs> or whatever." <laughs> so he would, you know, these guys never stop thinking. They just never stop thinking. All right, Joe, we appreciate it. KSTP.com part one aired on Sunday night. Part two, where it's more of. Zimmer Ridge Ranch, you know, getting to know Mike Zimmer, the person, getting into his personality. That is Thursday night, 10 o'clock news, Channel 5, KSTP. And again, that'll be posted sometime thereafter, whether it's late Thursday night or Friday morning on KSTP.com. Thank you, Joe. All right, dudes. Joe Schmidt, KSTP, Jay Schmidt, KSTP on Twitter. He is omnipresent, one of the great speakers in the metro area. Yes, I'm biased because he is my superior, somebody I've known for a long time, really more a mentor than anything. But he is excellent at what he does. Joe Schmidt, be sure to check out 
his reports on Mike Zimmer. Joe Schmidt has an excellent relationship with the Vikings head coach. We finished Scoop Podcast episode 86 with some Gophers notes, all-encompassing Gophers football. O.J. Smith, a defensive tackle, a transfer from Alabama, four-star recruit out of the state of Louisiana a few years ago, barely has played for Alabama. He's only appeared in two games. He tweeted on Tuesday morning that he is visiting Minnesota. He will be here for the next few days, I'm told. He'll get some time with P.J. Fleck. Later in the week, he will take one more visit. It sounds like a Big 12 school either late this week or early next week, then make his mind up. He would have to sit out a year, but you think about the Gophers' lack of depth at defensive tackle for 2018. That is the selling point, P.J. Fleck, to Smith saying, hey, we need you. You will play a lot in 2018 as a defensive tackle. We can develop you. You weren't developed, or maybe you just were, but – didn't get playing time at Alabama. Obviously hard to get on the field in Tuscaloosa. You can see the field for us. You can have a pro future. Come to Minnesota. Also, the Gophers will host another SEC transfer late this week. At some point we can announce the name, but let's just say for right now an SEC transfer, another one at least. So we have Smith from Alabama, another one visiting Minnesota later this week. On Gophers basketball, they got Gabe Kausher. We've talked about Gabe for a while, saying the momentum was there. I'm not big into announcing on Twitter or even on the Scoop podcast, hey, I know for sure this kid is going to this school or that school. He actually told the Gopher staff seven to eight days ago. So it's been known behind the scenes Gabe Kausher would be a Gopher. I'm not big into stealing the kid's moment. So he had his moment on Tuesday night at De La Salle High School. He announced he will be a Gopher, no surprise, but give the kid his moment. I talked to him after. Here is my brief conversation with Gophers shooting guard commitment, class of 2018, D. La Salle High School, Gabe Kausher. He joins Daniel Aturu of Creighton Durham Hall and Jarvis Thomas of Orono as Gophers commitments for the class of 2018. All three are teammates on the Howard Pulley Panthers. Here is Gabe. Talking to your mom, she's like, yeah, I did teach him his jump shot, at least to a degree. Yeah. So that story's true. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, when I was like really little, I mean, uh, my jump shot wasn't that great. I was more like post. I was, I was bigger than everyone else. I mean, I was a post. So, I mean, yeah, um, she really she really did develop my shot a lot over the years. And she, and she still, and, she, and we still go to Lifetime like twi- three times a week and get shots up. So, I mean, so, I mean uh, she's my day one. She's, she's the reason why reason why I'm here pretty much. So, yeah, I thank her every day and every time I can. I mean, I'm sure there's a bias. You have a strong opinion of yourself. But is there a better shooter in the state? Uh, no, I don't feel like – no, I feel like there is because um, how much time, how much time and effort I put to, um, to my shot is, is, is ridiculous. It's um, – I mean, uh, I'm here. I'm here at 6 a.m. every morning for dealer style practice, get shots up and, and lift. So, I mean, I'm dedicated. I'm a grinder. I'm dedicated. I'm dealer style, and I'm, now I'm a gopher. So, yeah. Was the decision to be a gopher that much easier after the year they had? I mean, we know about the turmoil going back past a year, but the success they had on the court, off the court, the program moving in the right direction, did that play a big role in your decision? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. I mean, uh, them playing really well last year and me going to those games and the atmosphere of the, of the crowds and, and everyone just, just really bought into to, to the University of Minnesota really, really spoke to me and really, and really uh, helped me change my change my mind to go here. Ben Johnson, I mean, we heard a lot about Patino. Patino deserves credit. But you think about Ben Johnson's De La Salle legacy, yeah. the way he recruits the Metro, yeah. how big of a role did Ben play in your decision? I was big. He was, um, I mean, I would say he was like uh, the first person who talked to me, and then it was Patino. So, I mean, I mean uh, Ben, 
Ben and I have a really good connection, not just because of De La Salle, but also, but also because while we're both shooting guards and we're, we're both uh, perimeter players. So I mean, like he knows my role, he knows, he knows, he knows my like what my skill sets are and, and who I am. So yeah. Take us through again the phone call you made. What day was it last week? And and who answered? And just take us through the dynamics of that phone call last week. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was last. Monday or Tuesday, I'm not sure, but it was last week, and um, it was it was um, the night before. I was I was up late because uh, we came back from PCM, and I was talking with my parents, and and I really just wanted to break down the break down the the schools that have been recruiting me because because I felt like it was time. It was it was getting a lot, and I felt kind of little little bit of pressure of everyone everyone committing already. So I felt it was time and. And that trust between the coaches and the love between the coaching staff and my and not just me but my family really spoke to me and really and really helped my decision. Are you gonna work hard now on Trey Jones? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, me, me, Jarvis and, and Daniel, that's our that's our job to, to get him to get him here. Get him are here. you one that's active? Are you a vocal person? I mean are you one that's gonna blow up his phone call him and say and I'm sure you already have, but oh, yeah. you'll continue to do that? Yeah, for sure. And also uh, we room together, so I mean, so I mean, uh, I'll talk to him a lot about about coming, and we're we're good friends. So I mean, yeah, I'll talk to him a lot about coming. Do you see a path where you'll get on the court right away? So that 2018-2019 season, have you looked at the depth of the roster, yeah. and there's a path that you know that yeah. you'll play right away? Yeah, uh, I have seen the roster. I mean, uh, Dupree um, McRae is um, he'll be a senior when I when I, when I come. But I mean, uh, I feel like I feel like that um, if I put if I put the time that I've been putting in. At De La Salle and Pulley, I feel like I feel like that I'll be able to get time to play at, at Minnesota my freshman year. Do you feel like you flew under the radar? I mean, I know you had the Pittsburgh offer, yeah, but you didn't have 25 offers or anything like that. Even though you had a phenomenal May, yeah. the summer circuit with Pulley, mm-hmm. do you feel like you're underrated? Uh, I do feel like I'm underrated, but I mean, like uh, that pushes me. That pushes me to do better. That pushes me. That pushes me to wake to wake other people up. But 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 right now I don't have to because I'm, I'm committed right now. But I, but I do feel underrated, but I'm happy for that because, because I am ready to work, to work not just for Minnesota, but for, but for, my, but for the Twin Cities. Maybe after this, we put the spotlight on you as a shooter, but your coach was saying, hey, don't forget him about being a defender. I mean, oh, yeah. help side defense, on-ball defense, you take a lot of pride in defense, don't oh, yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're standing in De La Salle right now, it's all defense. It's defense, so I mean, defense is what we rep at De La Salle. And that's and that's my go-to because my defense will carry my offense. So if I'm not having a great offensive offensive game, that defense will spark up my offense and that'll get me going in the flow of, in the flow of the game. 2018 Gophers men's basketball commit from De La Salle High School shooting guard Gabe Kausher. Andre Jones. I'll just continue to say that as hard as the Gophers are trying, as much work as his Howard Pulley teammates are doing, that would be Oturu, Jarvis Thomas, Gabe Kausher. It will be tough to beat Duke. It is still a tough get when it comes to the Gophers landing Trey Jones. But they're trying. Give Patino, give Ben Johnson credit for trying. But I'm just saying it is a tough, tough get when you're up against Duke, also UCLA, some others. But certainly edging out Duke for a recruit, even if he's in your backyard, is not easy. It is very, very hard. One other Gophers note in a second, but first more love for Vine Park Brewery, vinepark.com. On West 7th Street in St. Paul, check out their website for the exact location. It's pretty much right off of 35E on your way into downtown St. Paul. But vinepark.com is the website. On Twitter, at vine underscore park. 
underscore brew. Had a chance to do a portion of Scoop Podcast episode 85 at Vine Park. Hung out with owner Andy, really cool guy. Got to see that Vine Park is the only brewery in the Midwest where you can brew your own beer and make your own wine on Vine Park's equipment with Vine Park's help. Vine Park has been the fun place to brew your own beer and make your own wines since 1995. Brew your own beer or wine. Take it home in 22-ounce bottles. It's perfect for gifts, perfect for sharing. They have custom labels. It's perfect for parties, corporate events. They have all sorts of flavors, pale ales, IPAs, brown ales, porters, stouts, lagers, pilsners, box, wheats. They have the right recipe for you. Support the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast, Vine Park Brewery, vinepark.com. The final Gophers know Jessica Merchant is likely heading with Jessica Allister to the Bay Area, to Stanford. She was there last weekend. Mark Coyle had a conversation with Merchant. There was interest in hiring internal, making Merchant the Gophers head coach, but she is apparently not ready. Those close to her say, yeah, just not ready to be a head coach. Likes being an assistant for right now. Maybe she's waiting for the Michigan job to open. She used to play for Michigan. But the signs do point to her joining Jessica Allister at Stanford. She will not be the new Gophers coach. They hired the Duluth native the woman from Iowa State, her name is escaping me. I should have it in front of me, but I don't. I apologize. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode number 86. Always appreciate you listening.